Hello, everybody, and welcome to March of 1992. In the news this month, the 64th Academy Awards takes place. Silence of the Lambs, Jodie Foster, and Anthony Hopkins all take home trophies. Come and Talk to Me by Jodeci is released and will become Billboard's Song of the Year. Kyrie Irving is born on March 23rd in Australia. Actress Annette Bening and actor Warren Beatty get married this month. And the top song of the month is To Be With You by Mr. Big. Welcome back to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your host, Eric. And we have a fair month ahead of us. This is probably one of the better months we've had throughout this entire podcast. This is an intensely 90s month, isn't it? (laughs) Very 90s. Very 90s. I thoroughly enjoyed the aggressively 90s attire that I've seen. Oh, my God. Yes. My the white man can't jump. Everybody's clothing was amazing. <laughs> Amazingly ridiculous. Ridiculous. Like, I grew up in the 90s with you guys. I didn't see any of that shit. Well, that's just like the early 90s, like, especially in, like, my cousin Vinny. It's a lot of uh, 80s, like, Italian leather carryover. What was with the the 1970s style cars that they were passing off as 90s cars? Like, I don't remember the 90s still having the brick slash box shaped cars. Well, it was a 1967 Buick Skylar. <laughs> Metallic mint green. <laughs> That's not the, was your first not car the only brand one new, I'm bro? referencing. <laughs> or 1964. No, sorry. but okay. So in 1996, I was 16 years old. My first car was a Chevy Lumina. Was any it wasn't the most stylish of cars, but it definitely wasn't like a box. It wasn't a rectangle. How old was it though? It was new ish. It was probably like a ninety four that I had in oh, ninety well, seven. Yeah. Kevin was rolling the money. My first car in ninety seven was what, a nineteen eighty six Ford Taurus? Wow, you guys really lived up yeah, to the Yeah, I new remember age cars the Ford because- Taurus. It was roundish. The rear oh, wait, window wasn't oval. Have some roundish Hold on, things. I had I listen. I didn't get my first car till 2002, so you guys are old. Yeah. And my very first car was a 1984. Now listen to this: a 1984 Buick Skylark. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a metallic mid green Chevy S10 Tahoe Blazer. But that sounds amazing. Those are three yeah. different trucks now, or they became <laughs> eventually became three different trucks. But at the time, it was just the name of one truck. Now it was a four seater, like. It wasn't that it was before crossover cars, but it was a crossover, but it was a truck. <laughs> I think I remember that truck, too. It, it, was, a, it was a pickup coupe station wagon. <laughs> it was everything. Is that the blazer that if you took the top off the back, the back seats were open? There was no top on my car. So, so it was a constant convertible? No. It was just, <laughs> you couldn't make it a convertible. Oh. It was a hard top. So that's the word you were, the phrase you were looking for. Not no top, a hard top. <laughs> Cars back in my day didn't have roofs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said it wasn't removable. Right. And then my second car was a 1981 uh, Toyota Camry. Well, they got older. Yeah, but that car only had like 4,000 miles on it when I bought it. I bought it from like this 97-year-old woman who never went anywhere. 
All right, well, we fully fleshed out the cars we've owned of our youth, so I think we, really. can, we can move on to movies now. Oh, movies. Oh, yeah, this is, is a movie podcast, here? I remember. Right, this is not a 90s what car you own podcast. <laughs> That's going to be our next podcast. Stay tuned. We're going to have an entire series about the three cars that we owned <laughs> growing up. <laughs> All right, so we have um, 17 movies. titles. Thank you. I was looking that up, but... Steal my thunder, bro. No problem. Oh, oh, I stole your thunder. I overstole you. Ever you. Do, Chris. You overstepped, Chris. Overstepped. All right. Coming he in. Went at... over his helmet. <laughs> no, more to the side. All right. Coming in at number 17, Shakes the Clown. Grossing, according to IMDb, $115,000. Knock this one out of the park. So Shakes is good at his job as a party clown when he's sober and shows up. However, five druggy clowns frame him for the murder of his boss. Wait, what? <laughs> sounds like sounds like a wild title, right? All right, so it, this why one, why are they druggy clowns? Why aren't they just clowns? Like, because they have problems. <laughs> so the, this is written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, right? It stars Bobcat. Uh, it has appearances by Blake Clark. He's the guy from Waterboy who goes, "I lived another day." They live to fight another day. That's from the Water Boy. Yeah, that's you the, mean the one that's the super like, country guy. Huh? Home and where you make it. Yeah, that like, guy. See, was naked. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> and then it also has Kathy Griffin, Florence Henderson, and Robin Williams. Really? Wow. Yeah. There's actually so this some, is some pretty good a movie people. we should get drunk and watch probably. There's, there's some there's some pretty good people in this shitty comedy. I don't think I want to watch Shakes the Clown if I'm being a hundred percent honest. I'm really interested in Robin Williams scenes from this movie. Maybe I would YouTube it and leave it at that. I think you just have to be in the right state of mind to watch this movie. Okay. Anyway, All right. I'm done. Coming in at number sixteen, the opposite sex and how to live with them a comedy romance bringing in six hundred and ninety thousand dollars when superficial david meets carrie in a boston bar he falls in love she's not interested she later falls in love with him friends observe and comment on the relationship didn't see that sounds coming. invigorating yeah courtney cox is in this movie and starring kevin pollack who played hockney in the usual suspects and lazio in the whole nine yards and I just watched. Oh, he also played Sam Weinberg in A Few Good Men. I was which just is a about movie. to say that. You took the words out of my mouth. I just seen a few scenes from uh, A Few Good Men the other day. It was on TV. He was also the son in law in the Grumpy Old Men series. All right. I love those movies, by the way. They're, they're definitely good Walter Matthau, uh, Jack Lemon movies. Yeah. All right, Chris. All right, coming in at number 15. That would be 15. 17 minus well, Because two. right now I have just the or the numbers from Microsoft Excel. I don't have the actual numbers. Night on Earth. Earning $2 million. This is a drama to com- Drama to comedy. Drama to comedy. Drama. <laughs> <laughs> An anthology of five different cab drivers in five American and European cities and their remarkable fares on the same eventful night. That's it. Uh, I mean, I kind of get the concept, but it didn't do so well. Directed by Jim Jarmusch. He has 30 directorial credits, but I've never heard of a single movie. Uh, this is starring Winona Ryder, uh, Gina Rowland, who is the old lady in Notebook, 
and Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad. Also, Rosie Perez has a small role. Okay. There's nothing else that anyone cares about in this movie. And that was 15, yes? Yes, sir. Coming in at number 14, Noises Off. It's a Disney movie, a comedy grossing $2.2 million. Lloyd Fellows, who is Sir Michael Caine, is the director of a theater company and is desperately trying to get his production together. We follow the production from final rehearsals through opening night and on to the tour. As with any group of actors, romances and arguments are bound to break out, and what's happening on stage is nothing compared to what's happening backstage. Stars once again, Sir Michael Caine, Carol Burnett, John Ritter, Christopher, excuse me, Christopher Reeve, and Nicolette Sheridan. Fair amount of people in a movie that a movie kind of sounds like Soap Dish. You guys remember Soap Dish where it was like the behind the scenes of a uh, soap opera? Yeah. This is the behind the scenes of uh, a touring play. So similar, I guess. Fun. Uh, Not really. Yeah, I don't have much to, to comment on that. Because no. I did a great job. <laughs> you did. You really summed it up great, Kev. That's what All I do. right. Uh, coming in at number 13, Shadows and Fog, a comedy. Uh, grossing $2.7 million. With a serial strangler on the loose, a bookkeeper wanders around town searching for the vigilante group intent on catching the killer. This movie is directed, written, and stars Woody Allen. Uh, Woody out, Allen. Out. 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 I'm out. What? Woody Allen. I'm it has out. has nothing to do with you. It's Woody Allen. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, what did I do? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, not a fan. I mean, this guy wrote 82 movies, directed 57, and acted 48. All of them. And I don't off. know. Yeah. Every last one I of think this is all... Watch, watch one Woody Allen movie, and now you've seen them all. I don't think I've ever made it through or even cared to watch a single one. Tell us how you really feel about Woody Allen. All right. Mo- yeah, really. Moving on. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, Kevin <laughs> is not running the show today at all. Coming in at number 12. <laughs> Blame it on the bellboy. A Disney movie earning $2.8 million. This is a comedy. Several strangers converge in a hotel in Venice where a bellboy's bad English sets them up to clash against each other in a hilarious case of mistaken identity. Sounds riveting. Uh, Directed by Mark Herman, who has nothing anyone cares about in his uh, IMDb. Starring Bronson Pinchot. I guess uh, he was Serge in Beverly Hills Cop. Nice. Oh, that's uh, Balky Bartokamus. That's what I thought, but like, and then I couldn't oh, find yeah. it. Oh yeah, yeah, a perfect stranger. That's what I. That's what I thought. Balky, for... uh, Balky from Mykonos. Yeah, yeah. Mipos. Mik- Mipos. Yeah, Mipos. Yeah, yeah I, and I, always something about a goat. Yeah, I, I just, I guess, I just didn't look hard enough because that's what I thought he was, and then I couldn't find it. So whatever. Uh, also starring Dudley Moore, who was in Arthur Ten and the original Bedazzled. Brian Brown from Cocktail. He really, I think he was just like one of uh, Tom Cruise's friends. Okay. And Richard Griffiths, who of course is Vernon Dursley. So this movie is noted for its extremely short runtime of one hour and 18 minutes. Nice. And it was a huge failure in the box office and with uh, critics. I'm on board for an hour and 18 minutes. Even if it's the worst hour and 18 minutes of film you'll ever watch? I think I've already seen the worst hour and 18 minutes of film that I could ever watch in some of the movies that we've had to watch for this podcast. So I could do this one, no problem. You're probably right. Are we good? We're good. Coming in at... All right, moving on. Number 11, Mediterraneo. 
Mediterraneo. You yeah, said that right. You were good. That's how you say that. That's those letters in that order makes that sound. Grossing four million dollars, yet another comedy. Uh, this is uh, World War Two. Uh, Italian army unit of misfits occupies an isolated, non-strategic Greek island for the duration of the war. And then uh, that was it. And I looked at the director and he's Greek or Italian, probably Italian. And I looked at all the actors and they're all Italian. So then I had nothing to say. But then I found that film critics Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel went on the Oprah Winfrey show. And they said that they walked out of this movie after a private screening and then the movie won the Oscar for the best foreign film, and they still refused to ever watch this movie again, claiming that it was not their words, but a piece of shit. <laughs> so that was the most interesting thing I could find about it. Even ad libbed their words, yeah. So it's a foreign film, so it's in Italian, I'm assuming. I don't know. I had the 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 title that I saw of the movie and um its tagline, whatever that was, was in English. So I don't know if this is subtitle, but it says foreign film, so I would imagine that it is. I mean, but a foreign film can be anything, right? Can is a British film con- considered a foreign film? I don't believe that qualifies. Really? It's foreign. Why not? It's not from America, so it's foreign. Yeah, I think I don't know. BBC is not considered American. It's foreign cinema or foreign television. You're you're arguing a point that I don't have the answer to, so you could keep on making solid. Because it's an argument, I might be able to win. And you meant you meant BBC. What did he say? A- B- what did he say? ABC. D-E-F <laughs> or G-H-I. Any one of those. Same thing. All right. In my business, Chris. <laughs> Eric, Eric loves the BBC, so. Yes. <laughs> I mean, wait, what's his favorite genre of porn? I mean, his favorite news outlet. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Coming in at number 10. Article 99, another comedy drama. We, we, we uh, can't get movie, away from comedies this month. The fun, this was, was a comedy so funniest comedy. month of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, boy. This movie grossed $6 million. Dr. Richard Sturgis leads a team of compassionate doctors at a veteran's hospital. He fights to deliver adequate care to needy veterans in the face of funding cuts and corruption. Hold on. You said well, he fights. Wait to hear about this. Like in my mind, he's fighting the veterans. But that wasn't the description at no, all. He's fighting for the veterans, buddy. He's trying to help them out. Facing funding cuts and corruption. Um, That's the director, some voice you should have read that in. Do that right? Again. That was that, that a good... Uh, the whole what, thing again in that, that voice. No, don't, 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 don't do that. Do that. <laughs> uh, uh, the next one. Uh, the director is Howard Deutsch. Uh, he did direct The Great Outdoors and Pretty in Pink. Wow, those are two solid movies. Now, check out the cast. Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta? Liotta. Sorry. Yes, Ray Liotta. What's with your face Put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllables, bro. Ray Liotta. You use that saying every podcast. Well, you do it every podcast. It's usually to you, Chris. Shut up. Yes, it is sometimes. The actor is Ray Leota. Leota. This is all saying. Spell it with an E and not an I. Hey, my daughter's name is Leah, L-I-A. There you go. Well, this is L-I-O, so shut up. (laughs) Okay, flustered. Okay. Ray Leota, Kiefer Sutherland, Forrest Whitaker, Leah Thompson, and John C. McGinley. 
it's a huge cast. Who's John C. McKinley uh, you know, again? That's Dr. Cox from oh, Scrubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been in a okay. lot of our movies. Yes. He's always angry, always yelling, and usually a cop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or a doctor. You know, you know, Leah Thompson, Lorraine Baines, Marty McFly's yeah, mom yeah, from yeah. Back to the yeah. Future. You know, we all know Keith is selling, but I mean, hell of a cast and uh, just didn't do well. It's the a, budget was $18 million and it only made six, so it lost a crap load of money in the box yeah, That's office. a bad failure. It's also an oddly assembled cast. Like, you wouldn't think to put those people together. Ray Liotta, Kiefer Sutherland, McKinley, and the woman. Uh, Liotta and Sutherland, Sutherland don't. No, the, and the, nor the, McKinley. Like, I feel like all of those personalities clash. But anyway, what the fuck do I know, so... Not much, but like I said, hell of a cast, though. I mean, <laughs> you think this would have been a better movie. Like, That's all I have I, to say I, about that. I like that. that, Dig. I take the good ones on the chin. I don't even respond. <laughs> all right, coming in at number nine, Gladiator. This is this movie earned $8.2 million. It is a drama, so we finally step away from that nice. uh, comedic. There we go. Something for my mom to go to. Tommy <laughs> Riley has moved with his dad to Chicago from a nice place. He keeps to himself, goes to school. However, after a street fight, he is noticed and quickly falls into the world of illegal underground boxing where punches can kill. Is this Lionheart? That's what I thought too. I was like, this yes. is Lionheart described. Is Van Damme in this? It is he's not. Um so it's directed by Rowdy Harrington, who directed Roadhouse and Repo Man. Roadhouse. Yeah. Which I, I've still never seen Roadhouse. Don't. Oh, it's not good. worth it. No, you got to watch it. You have it's to. It's a one-time watch and never again. All right. There's this one part. Wait, I'm going to tell this really Why wild. are you screaming at us? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell a really wild story right now. So I had this babysitter once. I, I don't know. I must have been like 10-ish around that age or whatever. And we had like the cable channels. We had the black box. So Ooh, fancy. Yeah, so we had like all the illegal channels. And... There was this one scene where these two people were having sex. My babysitter was like watching this channel when I came out of the room and they were on like a Stairmaster or a treadmill or something of this sort or it's whatever. Awkward place to have sex. And she, the girl said to the guy, I'll never forget the line. She's like, Ooh, you could be my regular Saturday night. And I was like, what is this girl watching porn while she's babysitting me? Come to find out like 20 years later, the first time I ever watched Roadhouse, it's a scene from Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. All right, it's a fantastic story. story. It made my day. All right, so this movie is starring James Marshall from A Few Good Men. Nice. Cuba Gooding Jr. Nice. And Brian Dennehy. Nice. That's yeah, a great cast. It is a pretty good cast. I got a better cast for you. You ready? Coming in at number eight, Once Upon a Crime, another crime comedy mystery, grossed $8.6 million. Phoebe and fellow American Julian Peters meet in Rome, find a lost dog, and agree to return it to Monte Carlo to split the $5,000 reward. Discovering the dog's owner dead, they panic and become fugitives. Other victims of misfortune also become suspects as the plot twist and luck and judgment desert everyone. So check this out. Wait, why are they fugitives for trying to return a dog? Well, they become murder suspects. Oh, okay. So that's why they're running, not from the dog. <laughs> So this is directed by Eugene Levy. What? Yeah, American Pie Dad Eugene Levy. This stars John Candy, Jim Belushi, Sybil Shepard, Richard Lewis, and Giancarlo Giannini, who's Mathis in the new Bond movies. You know, like, I'm in for everybody there except for uh, 
Sybil Shepard? No, it was the second Richard Lewis? No. Jim Belushi? Jim Belushi. You hate Belushi. I hate both Belushis. Uh, Jim Belushi's the worst Belushi. But that's a, I mean, that's a fair <laughs> statement, but I don't really hate him. Anyway, I thought it was a good cast and directed by Eugene Levy. I, I, I think I might have seen parts of this movie at some point on TV. You know, I think if you look at Eugene Levy's uh, credits, I think he does create a lot. Like, he creates more than he's in. So, like, his show that he was the star of, um, Shit's Creek. Creek. So, yeah, so Eugene Levy came up with the concept for Shit's Creek. And, like, he's, like, the I think he directs a lot of episodes. He wrote the, writes a lot for the show. Um, Him and his son are actually the creators of that because his son stars in the show. Yeah, yeah, he's a funny kid. Yeah. So, anyway, I think he does a lot of creative work. That's all I was saying. Okay. Where are we now? information. I think it's me, right? Number seven. I cut you off. You were still talking. No, I was done. All right. Then on to Eric, number seven. All right. Coming in at number seven, a biography crime drama grossing $11 million, American Me. Oh, this is uh, whatever James almost. Yeah. Okay. Edward James almost. There we go. Edward James almost. Thank you. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, no, it's all right. Uh, an, an, a Mexican-American mafia kingpin is released from prison, falls in love for the first time, and grows introspective about his gangster lifestyle. Um, yes, Kevin said it was also, uh, the director was also Edward James Olmos. That's cool, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, he, he directed like Battlestar Galactica, nothing crazy, and this movie. Then um, it also stars Edward James Olmos, uh, William Forsythe, who was flat top and Dick Tracy. Yes. So the cool thing about this movie, I I don't know much else about it, except for that. They had to block off a really dangerous part of the city where they filmed and two gangs, like the most dangerous gangs in all of LA, like called truce. So they could film some bloods. And, uh, no, they were, I, I, I erased the part. It was too much information. Mexican gangs, bro. MS-13. Either way, uh, apparently the movie upset a lot of the mes- Mexican mafiosas and like three people were killed and there was death, death threats all over the place from the people that were in the movie. All right. On to me. Coming in at number six. Everyone's favorite boy pretends to be a girl to play soccer. Yes. Ladybugs. Is it that a thing now? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 brutal! But they're not pretending. Oh man, some of them are. This this movie earned fourteen point eight million dollars, and it is a comedy. To climb the corporate ladder to success, a guy agrees to coach the company's all girls soccer team with the help of his secret weapon, his fiance's son. This movie does not get made today. Yeah. Oh, it does, and if it huh? does get made today, it's made much differently. <laughs> so this is directed by Sidney J. Fury, who directed Superman Four. Big, big resume. <laughs> Sol- solid resume. <laughs> the best of all Superman. But then again, I've directed zero movies, so his resume is better than mine. Yeah, but also maybe you could have done a better job with Superman Four. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, starring everyone's favorite comedian Rodney Dangerfield. Jackie Harry, who is the mom from Sister Sister, and Jonathan Brandis, heartthrob of the 90s. Is he the kid with the blonde hair? Yeah. That's all I remember from this movie is that he was a kid with blonde hair. And he wears a wig. Isn't it, the no, wig's not What blonde, other movies was this kid yeah. in? Pretty sure it is. He's in like all teen bop movies, like nothing that you really care about. Okay. Was he in Sidekicks? Yes. I don't know. Yeah, with uh, Chuck Norris. Yeah. 
Oh, I've, yeah. I've never seen a Chuck Norris movie that I've been able to watch in its entirety. Sidekicks you might watch. All right. Coming in at number five, The Cutting Edge. Uh, this is like a romance comedy grossing $23.1 million. I remember loving this movie when I was younger and uh, not entirely sure that it deserves it at this point. I haven't seen it in 15 years-ish, but a temperamental figure skater and former hockey player tried to win Olympic gold as figure skating pairs team. Stars, so many people that are never in anything ever again. This guy, D.B. Sweeney, he was Shoeless Joe Jackson in Eight Men Out. Like, that's the only other thing I could see on his resume of like 100 plus IMDb credits as an actor. And this woman, Kate Mosley, who voiced Nala in The Lion King. Like, that's her claim to fame other than this movie. Ooh. So these are two people that never did shit ever again. But I remember, like I said, thoroughly enjoying this movie. Also directed by Paul Michael Glazer, who directed The Running Man with Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic movie. Chris, you still haven't seen, you confessed. And The Air Up oh, There, right. which is a Kevin Bacon movie. Air Up There, I love. I don't fl- remember he it He flies to Africa to recruit basketball players. Isn't that based on Dikembe Mutombo's life? It might be. I or have like no idea. Loosely based but that on was it? like the most nineties like comedy ever. Okay. Well we have a lot of I just remember the cover of the movie with Kevin Bacon and like the basketball guys like three feet higher than Yes. <laughs> All right. And and the and the basketball hoops that are actual baskets. Like weaved baskets. <laughs> Next. All right. Eric. I'm not up, but go ahead, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Coming in at number four, the lawnmower man. A horror sci fi bringing in thirty two million dollars. A scientist performs experiments involving intelligence-enhancing drugs and virtual reality on a simple-minded gardener. But the gardener has a few ideas of his own on how the research should continue, and the scientist begins losing control of his experiment. Now, I know I saw this movie back in the day. I think he actually ends up going into the computers and, like, murdering people, like, through the Internet, which was, like, a new thing back then. Um, This movie won two... Academy of Sci-Fi Awards, Best Sci-Fi Fiction Film, and Best Special Effects. Uh, it stars Jeff Fahey. Um, not really much. He played Ike Clanton for, in the Wyatt Earp version uh, with what that uh, the Kurt uh, Russell, not, not Kurt not, Russell, not, not the not Tombstone Kurt version. No, no, no yeah. Costner, right? Yeah, the that's Costner, the Costner, the Costner version, one, yeah. which is yeah, which and is it has the one Pierce Bronson in watch. it. Yeah, yeah, I because I, like all his movies, too. Let's not get on Costner. Come on, just keep going. You don't, it also has you don't want a Bronson whole podcast it. on Costner? No, we don't need to talk about it. Anyway, so yeah, I, I know what this movie is, but I don't remember having ever seen it. And I know that it's a cult classic. And it's something that, like, I go looking for movies to watch at certain points. And this is something that should be on my list. And I never remember to watch it. So I started watching this movie because I thought it was one of our top three. Nice. I, wa- I watched about 25 minutes of it. Was it unwatchable? Unwatchable. Like I at one time I wrote at one point I wrote my notes, bro. This shit is so campy, I can't deal. You see that, but this is one of those things again that you have to have grown up on to love. Yeah, absolutely. And, and but the effects, like it won like no, best the, effects I, and this, this this award thing. Yeah, but you're not in 1992. No, that's but I'm why. comparing it to 1992 right. movies. Like, like the next year, like you've said this before, Jurassic Park comes out the following year. Well, Spielberg right. fucks everybody, right? So whatever he does, his head so. and shoulders above. This movie was else. just so stupid. So the whole premise of the movie is he's training apes using the VR VR and they're like 
infiltrating their brains, almost like a matrix situation, like making the apes smarter. And like one of the apes like goes ballistic and kills everyone, but then it turns out he's dreaming. But then like it's not a dream because then this autistic kid who is the lawnmower man gets stuck in the in the simu the VR and it starts killing people from the VR because he's a whiz he's a whiz mechanical engineer just because he's he's autistic like and he's that's what? that's his uh, savantness. <laughs> savantness. Like I don't know what else to say about it. The whole movie starts out, it's really just messed up. He's The kid playing the autistic kid is so over-the-top autistic. Like It's like, bro, you're, you're, you're making fun of autistic people. You're not being autistic. And then he, he designs this lawnmower, and he's all excited about it. And his, his uncle, who owns a landscaping company, picks him up to go mow lawns. He's like, can we break out Big Red? <laughs> and it's like a whole big deal. And this is based on a Stephen King short story, too. So, I mean, you'd think it would be decent yeah. although you only made it through 30 minutes you you missed the twist i'm sure there's a twist in there somewhere. i only made it 25 minutes in so it was not good right all right anyway let's move on because moving on like what do we an got hour oh. on lawnmower man all right wait where are we at number three we're at the top three baby number three which i would argue is number one it's definitely number one there's no argument coming in at number three my cousin Vinny, grossing 53 million dollars round up a funny thing happened to William and Stanley on their way to college. At what point did you shoot the clerk? They got framed for murder. Whoa! Wait a minute! Now, two kids from New York are in deep trouble. It's time to make your phone calls. The clan's here. They're in bread. They sleep with their sisters. In the deep south. Some of them do. And only one man can save them. We need to call an attorney, a great attorney. He's not your typical hero. We got an attorney in the family. Great, who? He's... My cousin Vinny. You sticking like a sore thumb around here. Oh, yeah, you blend. You graduated from law school six years ago. What have you been doing since? Studying for the bar. That's a lot of studying. What's this over here? You never heard of grits? Sure. I just actually never seen a grit before. It's his first case. Now, they're not tell you dress appropriately. You were serious about that? The way you handled that, Judge. Oh, you're a smooth talker. You are. It's their last chance. The two youths. Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a youth? But with Vinny's style, I wore this ridiculous thing for you. And Vinny's girlfriend. We agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. My biological clock is ticking like this. And the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. They're dead meat. May I have permission to treat Ms. Vito as a hostile witness? Do you think I'm hostile now? Wait till you see me tonight. Joe Pesci is my cousin Vinny. You two know each other? Yeah, she's my fiance. Well, that would certainly explain the hostility. Okay, so here's the best movie of the night. Here's the best movie of the year, possibly. Quite possibly, yes. Every second of this movie was so enjoyable. I love it. I this was movie. saying this before to Kevin. There's not a moment. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely not a moment. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's not a moment in this movie where you're not enjoying yourself. I just 100%. don't know if there's a better comedy. This might be my number one comedy. This might be one of the best movies we've watched or had to, you know, even talk about in what three years now. It's, it's definitely on the top list. 
Yeah, no, it's well, we had Goodfellas, which is number one. Number yeah, so one. From, Goodfellas is still number one. As well, a, I'm not putting it in the top two or three, but I'm saying if you had a top 10 list of the last two and a half years we've this done, is in it. Yeah. three years, 100% in it by far. But this is the best comedy we've watched by far. And like I'm saying, it might be my my favorite comedy of all time. I don't know. It's it's possible. It's up there because it, it, so we talk about this every time we talk about a good comedy, right? Where the comedies give up on themselves. This never does that. You're never bored. You never. It's never not funny. The actors are never not doing a good job. It's never not entertaining. And it's a good story throughout the whole thing too. Like it finishes. Yeah. Like when when do comedies land in the end? Almost never. Right. Almost never. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah. All right. So I mean, look. I think this could be a short conversation because so we could sit here and fanboy over every scene and bore everybody to tears, or we could just hit some highlights. And I think that we should just honestly hit some highlights and move on so let's just get right into it then we'll go straight into categories so joe pesci of course plays vinnie gambini marissa tomei plays L mona lisa vito that is funny in itself the <laughs> over italian new yorkness of mona lisa vito uh, anyway moving on ralph macchio plays bill gambini uh mitchell Whittenfield plays stan uh so he's the the friend of Stan Rothenstein, not Stein. Stein, yep. Uh, he's a voice actor, so he's got like a million voice acting credits. He doesn't really have anything else outside. He's of also not the best actor. No, probably not. Uh, you got Fred Gwine. Is that how Gwyn. you pronounce it? Gwyn? Gwyn. It's just Gwyn, not Gwine. No. I thought that double N-E is Gwine. Well, then if you know something that argue with I you. It's one know, or the other. It's one or the other. Uh, he plays Judge Haller. Uh, and Judge he Chamberlain. Where'd you get Haller? Chamberlain Haller. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I did see three dots. I all I and then it just I clicked on it and it came up still Judge Chamberlain. So I, I okay. stand corrected. He was what? Th he was Herman Munster, yeah, he right? He just took Munster. all the wind out of Chris's sails. He was so, so excited. excited to say that. Uh, I was just I was just telling Kevin uh, I picked my parents up from the airport like a week ago and I was telling them, oh yeah, I watched my cousin Vinny for the podcast and my dad's like, oh yeah, with Fred Gwynn and he's Judge Holler and he's from the Munsters and I love him and I'm just like, why are you so obsessed with this guy? He's been in, like three movies that anyone cares. About about <laughs> yeah but the, i i told you that my father said the same thing about that he's uh herman munster and uh lane smith plays jim trotter the other attorney and he was in the mighty ducks he was the he was the coach of gordon bombay when he was a kid <laughs> nice all right and uh the plot ralph macho and his buddy are in their car they're on a road trip uh they stop to get some supplies they have you know, they don't have that much funds. They're trying to figure out how much they could buy for a little bit of money. And as they walk out, Ralph Macchio realizes um, that he stole a can of tuna fish. That's then later on, they get pulled over thinking that's why they're getting arrested. But the fact of the matter is the clerk got killed by uh, similar suspects in a similar car. And they're in a podunk town and they end up going on trial. And... In comes Joe Pesci as their uncle lawyer who has no idea what he's doing. His and cousin. Comedy ensues. Yeah. Right there in the title, Eric. Cousin lawyer. His cousin Vinny. When I say yeah. uncle. <laughs> well, that fucks up the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the title of the movie. All right. So this uh is directed by Jonathan Lynn. He directed Clue, The Distinguished Gentleman, Sergeant Bilko, and The Whole Nine Yards. All of those are serviceable comedies. Whole Nine Yards is definitely another guilty pleasure movie yeah, I, for me. I, I can't turn it off when it's on. I would put that in guilty pleasure category, right? Because it's good, but it's not this level good. Like, this is clearly his... Oh, this no. Is, this is his it's Mona Magnum Lisa. Magnum opus. It's his Mona Lisa. Oh, yeah. good job. You're better than mine. <laughs> All right. Um, best scene? 
I mean, there's so many good scenes in this movie. I you can't just pick one. I I got three, and it's not enough. All right, go ahead. Chris. So I got in the jail cell when he first meets the kids. Love. It, it love. was so good oh. when the one fr- so the one friend thinks he's there to rape him. Yeah, Stan. <laughs> I was laughing the entire time. But my favorite line from the whole thing is, "I'm not jerking you off. I'm not doing anything." So the whole scene starts off with uh, Joe Pesci tipping the CEO like. <laughs> <laughs> like he's paying yes. him off to bring him in there and his friend just thinks that he's trying to rape him and he and he looks at uh his cousin he's like oh he's sleeping that's cute cute little guy maybe i'll start with you and let him sleep he goes i don't want to do this he goes hey i don't blame you but what are your alternatives i don't know suicide death <laughs> looks like it's either me or them you're getting fucked one way or the other <laughs> so yeah i just like that whole scene and uh no, the whole dialogue to the very end was phenomenal. It, it, it was very enjoyable. and Second best scene? So, yeah, so I had that. I had the leaky faucet scene. That that, that I guess it's fucking broken. <laughs> she starts talking about the, the wrench that was... The uh, torque wrench. The torque wrench that was calibrated moments into the instant before she applied the pressure to the faucet. Uh, you got the deer scene. Your little deer. You put your little deer lips in the water. Then, bam! You think you're going to give a shit what the motherfucker blew your head off was wearing? That's definitely probably the quote of the movie, that whole line with the deer hunt. Eric, what was your best scene? Pretty much any scene that had Marissa Tomei in it, for sure. But um, my best scene was, I think, when she was up on the stand as the ex- as, uh, I found sound like the lawyer from the movie, uh, from the expert witness. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the j- 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 I, have, I have a hot take on that lawyer, so we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. It. We'll get to it. Yeah, but I liked her on the stand because, you know, treat her like a hostile witness. Oh, you think I'm hostile now? <laughs> you know this Listen, girl. her, her, her <laughs> Brooklyn accent was spot on. Staten Island. Oh, sorry. You're right in saying that. But also, way, it was also spot on spot for that, too. On. It was spot on. You know, see, here's the thing, though. This is what I like about this movie. Being a, a, a born and raised New Yorker, as we all are, a lot of times we're portrayed as something that we're not i mean we are idiots yes and and generally overtly italian but like it's like excessive to the point of nausea these two were excessively new york and excessively italian but portrayed in the in a way that we generally are like you know a lot of new yorkers do look and talk and sound like this and like out of place no matter where they are outside of new york and and they they pull that off so well yeah and are they yeah. both native New Yorkers? Like Joe Pesci is, right? I um, you're asking questions I don't have the answer to. All right. Well. Okay then. <laughs> we'll just leave that unanswered. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> what yeah. were you saying, Kevin? What was your best? My scene? best scene was the biological clock scene, but I think we'll just leave it for the quotes. Yeah, we we watched that scene before we recorded. We're like we have to watch that scene again. It's just too good. Worst scenes? I I honestly I know this is the rules that we set up, but I don't have a worse scene in this movie. If I had to, I definitely don't. If I had one. to pick something to be the worst scene, just in the greatness of this movie, the the two scene, the one scene that stood out to me that didn't fit as much was when Vinny's trying to convince Ralph Macchio's character to keep him on, and he's telling the story a about little, the bricks. Felt forced. Yeah, it felt a little forced, and it was like it was okay. Like I get what they were doing. I didn't hate the scene. It's just with it. It just lacked the luster the rest of the movie had okay and then that continues with then ralph macchio trying to convince his friend to also keep 
uh, Vinny on, and he starts telling the story of Vinny calling out the magician. And I'm just like, I don't know. If I was up on murder charges and it looked like I could be convicted, the guy being able to figure out the magician's tricks isn't, isn't going to convince me to hire him. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, those are two reasonable. Yeah. Th- but again, I don't. Bad. You know what? I actually have one, too, that I, I wrote down. I forgot that it wasn't that bad. But how about when he's they're sleeping in the car in the rainstorm? Yeah. And he gets out and he falls on the back and it's like a little, a little comical, slapstick. but then he rolls over yeah. and falls face first again. And it was like a forced physical comedy that just didn't really land. It wasn't that bad, but if you, know, like, you want to be picky, that was the one scene that stood out. Yeah, we're looking for things. Very but, but honestly, that does make sense, though, because it's not a slapstick comedy. So the, to throw that in there, it's almost like but it's more visual it. than slapstick. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's slapstick. All right. Once again, He's nitpicking. This movie's yeah. uh, this movie's a hundred. Okay. But I did laugh at it though, regardless. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't have a worse scene, so I apologize. Uh, best role, mine was Joe Pesci. I, I can't pick between the two. It's Joe Pesci and it's Marissa Tomei. Their their performances. It's one or the other. Phenomenal. But I went with Marissa Tomei the whole way Here, because I I think she stole the sh- I think she stole the well, movie. I really she do. She won. She won. Best Supporting Actress Oscar for this movie, and it's deserved. So, well yeah, deserved. I did no research on this, but I'm pretty sure it's the only time a comedy has ever won a Best Supporting Actress or Supporting Actor or Best Actor or Actress has never won. And, and you know, sh- the two of them, you can't have this movie one without the other. Everybody else, I mean, they all did a great job, you know, and you end up with the role that they played, and you couldn't imagine a different person in that role, but also arguably anybody else in this movie is replaceable and it's still as great as this movie is. I wouldn't replace anybody. They all did a perfect yeah, job. Worst role? If you had to pick a worst role, you're picking the fr- the friend Stan. Yeah, Mitch. Right, Mitch, Mitch Whitfield. Right, the guy, right. the actor's name is Stan. I picked the same guy. Eric? Yeah, but I don't think he's yeah, terrible. I agree. Yeah. No, he's not terrible, but he's also not memorable. He's outshined. Yes. And, and every, every, every scene, he has like one or two funny lines and that's it. He's kind of in the background of every scene, too. Like, he's always the guy in the back on the far left. He's never center stage. All right, guys, what do you say? Let's vote. We have an uneven amount of hosts. What do you say that I just plug in a bunch of quotable lines and let the actors and actresses actually do it? Or we could run down our favorites. What would you rather do? I think we just throw in the quotes here and and just let the audience enjoy Eric, them and all their mastery. Yeah, I'm with it because a lot of these quotes are pretty long too, and and we'll butcher them without the accent and the delivery. So I'm with it. Enjoy, everybody. What? Nothing. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. <laughs> Me? What about you? I fit in better than you. Oh yeah, you blend. Can you tell they don't have Chinese restaurants around here? Gotta let everybody know you're a tourist. Oh, what are you, a fucking world traveler? If you turned it off, it wouldn't drip. Maybe it's broken. Is that what you're saying? It's broken? Yeah, that's it. It's broken. A little encouragement. Is that what you want? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You were wonderful in there. The way you handled that judge. Oh, you're a smooth talker. You are. You are. All right, knock it off. Knock it off. Don't you wonder why he tried to give you his files? I told you why already. He has to. By law, you're entitled. It's called disclosure, you dickhead. He's not allowed any surprises. Is there any more shit we could pile on to the top of the outcome of this case? Is it possible? Maybe.
Maybe it was a bad time to bring it up. Excuse me. You guys down here hear about the ongoing cholesterol problem in the country? What's, what's this over here? You never heard of grits? Sure, sure, I heard of grits. I just actually never seen a grit before. <laughs> and that's it. We got through a fantastic movie with little to no injury. We loved it. Would you recommend this movie? Absolutely. Watch it right now if you've never seen it. And if you have seen it, watch it a lot. Watch yeah. it again. <laughs> I might watch it tonight. All right. Next. Coming in at number two, White Men Can't Jump, grossing $76 million. Yeah. Oh, it is hard work being this good. Oh, oh it hurts. It's not about black. I don't mean to brag, but I'm the greatest. That's because you never saw me. It's not about white. Honey, I'm home. How much money did you make today? I missed you too. I'm sorry, honey. It's about green. I want to find out how good you are, chump. Come on, baby. I'm your white shadow. I have a business proposal for you, as if you don't mind hustling. What kind of hustle? $500, baby. And you can pick my teammate. Give him the chump. You mean play basketball? Hey, pretty man, I got something for you. Shut your anorexic, malnutrition, tapeworm having, overdose, Dick Gregory, Bahamian diet drinking ass up. Give me my money. I'll see you hustle. Hey, I never use those goofy white mother. Hey, who you calling goofy white mother? You, you. Yeah, yeah. 500 divided by two. Woo! How much do you love me? I love you, Infinity. Oh, Billy, you're so stupid. You should have said I love you, Infinity, plus Infinity. We shoot you, Billy, but first we want the money. There are rules to hustling. There's an ethics involved. Yeah, that you wouldn't know a damn thing about. <laughs> Will you explain to this Gladys Knight and the pips? It's pips! The pips! Winning and losing is all one big organic lobule. I hate it when you talk like that. You got that big Z in your fro, man. What are you, the Black Zorro? What are you doing? I'm doing two things. What? I'm making them mad. Most guys don't play good when they're mad. Look, you know you're embarrassing me. That's what you're doing. Yeah, well, that's the other thing I'm doing. I only have four words for you. White men can jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah! another fantastic comedy. Another movie from my childhood that I love. What are you doing watching a movie that has hip-hop in it and being from your childhood? You don't do that. It wasn't about the hip-hop because it's not about this movie. It's not about hip-hop. You can't hear Jimmy. That's not hip-hop. <laughs> Jimmy's not hip-hop, just, baby. That's classic rock and roll, baby. And his drummer was white. <laughs> his whole <laughs> band was white. <laughs> his whole band was white. All right, so this movie stars Wesley Snipes as Sidney Dean. Uh, Rosie Perez as Gloria Clemente. Woody Harrelson as... Billy Ho. Yeah, thank you. Billy Ho. But it's Billy Hoyle. Yep. And could this guy, Kadeem Hard, Hardison, he was junior in A Different World. You guys remember the sitcom A Different World? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, that's the show that um, Tupac started his acting career on. Is it? I didn't know that. I'm pretty and sure. We also have a very mustached Alex Trebek. And Chris, what's the wife of Wesley Snipes' name and role? Because she sucked. Tyra Farrell. And she didn't suck. She just, like, she wasn't really Her character anything. was dog shit. She I mean, did a fine job doing the character. I just didn't want any of it. 
and her name in the movie was Rodney. Oh, Dean. did I give away my worst role? Apparently, you did. Sorry. Yeah, you did. Okay, plot because I stole it from IMDb because I was too lazy to to forge I, one of my own. I wrote my own, but let's hear yours first. No, then you did better because mine sucks. So go ahead. All right, this is written by me. Nice. Down on his luck, hustler teams up with an unlikely partner to win a basketball tournament and his girlfriend's heart. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, that really is what the movie's about, isn't it? It's so good, it sounds like you stole it, even though you didn't. Yeah, I know. It's so good. All right, so what do we think of this movie? I was also... I haven't seen this movie in forever, and this movie was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like you, I haven't seen this in a long, long time. I thought I remembered the movie, and there were so many different pieces where I was like, oh, that's annoying that they did that. And then I was like, oh, that was a setup. Like... So in the idea that like they were teamed up and they were they were hustling other people and they were doing so well in the first game. And then they set up that second game and you're like, oh, they're just going to win every hustle. That's how this is going to go. And they lose the hustle. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm glad that they lost that second hustle. They're going to learn and lick their wounds and get back at it. And then it turns out really what happened was Sydney was hustling uh, Billy Ho. <laughs> I, yeah, Billy Billy I knew he was hustling him so bad. I was so pissed that whole time when he was throwing that game. I, forgot, I felt so bad for I Woody. forgot that that's what was going on in that scene until the scene popped up. And then I remembered the the quote of, I forget what it is verbatim, but something along the lines of, y'all are crazy. I'm going in my car, get my second gun, shoot everybody. <laughs> I have the line. I think it was exactly that, actually. Yeah, it was good. It was right on. Fuck this. You both crazy. I'm going to my car to get my other gun. And I'm shooting everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. Watching this movie. All right. So I had this conversation with Chris earlier, but we're going to rehash because now we're on the podcast. I was 12 years old when this movie came out in theaters, probably 13 when it hit VHS. Rosie Perez is something else she's stunning and her accent her physical appearance it's all very unique and very attractive i have to imagine without the recollection of it that she was like an integral part of my sexual awakening at 13 years old <laughs> and you know what like it's not that crazy to say because i think i had the same experience but on hbo because when I was like 12 or 13 years old, that's when this movie was like running hard on HBO. Like I remember, you know, remember when HBO used to have like the same movie on three, four yeah. times a day? Yeah. The White Men Can't Jump was one of those movies on HBO that kept airing. And of course, HBO didn't cut the nudity and didn't cut that all that. So, of course, 12 year old me was all about this movie. Yeah, but for sure. The thing why are you watching movie... White Man Can't Jump again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like basketball, Dad. <laughs> no, but, but Chris, you don't play basketball. <laughs> you hate basketball. <laughs> but but in all honesty, though, the movie is good with or without the and the nudity isn't even real nudity. It's like you don't really see it. It's side boob. Yeah, yeah, but also impressive side boob. Yeah. All right. Anyway, now that we 
gone down that rabbit hole. What else do we have? <laughs> it's like AD for that. You know, I like this movie a lot. I, the whole movie was solid, but I, I did feel that when they kind of split and they have the whole Jeopardy montage kind of going on, I feel like the movie lost a little bit of his momentum. I, I, I like that was Jeopardy my only montage. I used to. I thought I liked the Jeopardy montage, but I'm with Eric on this. Like when it came the up, force. I have to stop saying like. Uh, when it came up, it just it didn't fit, and I didn't believe her, especially when she thought Babe Ruth was a basketball player. You, well, she's not good with sports. No, buddy. but you can't get that that wrong. Like, be that wrong. I don't know. I'm I'm nitpicking. Kevin's rolling his eyes at me. Um, yeah, I just felt like they could have done it a little quicker. Didn't need to take up so much time. I like you know it had such great momentum with the basketball, the hustling, the shit talking, everything. All of that got me just involved in the movie so much. And then this part kind of jumped into the love story, and it lost me a little bit. I'm not. I'm just. I'm nitpicking, but it lost me a little. I'm bit. with you. But let's get to the shit talking because. It was so Intense good. Intense and fantastic. And hilarious. Everything. Zero sense being made. <laughs> <laughs> I love random. Ran- Did you talk about my mom again? <laughs> my favorite of all the mama jokes was Wesley Snipes. She's, he's like, keep my mama out of your mouth. He's like, she's out. She's out. What time you want me to bring the bitch back? <laughs> <laughs> That was the best. Oh, what was the other one? The guy goes, "I saw your mom kicking the uh, kicking a can down the street the other day." I asked, "Yo, what you doing?" She said, "I'm moving." <laughs> <laughs> they were all they were all good, but I felt like the Wesley Snipes one was was the drop the mic well, one. I forgot that. Oh, this yeah, because is... he's walking away all like it's over. Oh, yes. Eric's being very Kevin tonight. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I forgot that this is where we got all of our mama jokes from. It was from this movie. Like we thought we were making them up, but they weren't. They were from White Man. The Can't kick jump. in the can one is one that I have used multiple times. So, this is another movie that's full of quotable lines. We go in Sizzler. <laughs> we go that's in right. Sizzler. That was a huge line back then. We go in Sizzler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in vain of talking about derailing with the love story of this movie, because I know you need like Rosie Perez was great in this movie, but when she starts getting all philosophical, is that a word? Yes. Philosophical. Yes. And she starts talking about the thirsty, the being thirsty in the cup of water. I like I really can do without. Yeah, but no, it's stupid on purpose, though. It's like it's like it's it's a woman not being satisfied in her relationship turned up to 100. Like it's supposed to be silly. It's supposed to be. I don't know if it's supposed to be annoying, but it's supposed to be like. Over the top. Yeah, you can't comprehend it because it doesn't make sense because. Yo, the director or the writer or whoever is doing this is saying that, like, yo, this aspect of a woman's personality doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's where he's at. I mean, you know, whatever. Take it or leave it. Like it or hate it. That's what he was doing with it. So, it may, you know, you don't like it, and that's fine. That's okay. But I understand what he was doing. All right. Fair enough. I, which, I'm with you, Chris. I didn't get it. <laughs> it brings me to, if we're going to bring up things that we dislike i'm just gonna hop to my worst scene wait hold up did we do no director no we did nothing i'm just saying i'm I'm on board with this conversation i feel like you know somewhat uh relatable segue is talking about gloria i was genuinely upset when gloria left billy at the end and I was like, this movie's such a better movie if they just managed to stay together. Like, she left and never came back, and I was so upset. So I'm going to argue with you so hard on this. Okay. I think this was a better movie because she didn't come back. Because she wouldn't come back, and she shouldn't have come back after Jeopardy. Like, I was mad when she took him back after Jeopardy. She, he gave her... Okay, so just so everyone understands what we're talking about. So 
Billy Hoyle has a huge gambling problem in terms of betting on himself and playing in these games and trying to hustle. So she leaves him because he blows all their money once again on that hustle, the one where he got hustle hustled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she he tries to get her back by getting her on Jeopardy, which is great. She wins Jeopardy. She wins a ton of money and somehow convinces her to come back to him, I guess, because he got her on Jeopardy and he sang her that he stupid her song, song about the cup of water. Yeah. Um, but then... She just gives him $2,000 and said, and he's like, no, I shouldn't take this. Like, you can't trust me. And she's like, no, I can trust you. But he legitimately did nothing, nothing to earn her trust back. So why does she suddenly trust him and take him back? There's no reason for it. He's still a fuck up. Okay. So when he fucks up again, because we all knew it was going to happen with that extra $2,000, she leaves. And she doesn't come back. And I thought, finally, Gloria has finally made the right decision in leaving his dumb ass. Yeah, but I thought that... And I think it makes him a better person, too, because now he's finally going to learn from his goddamn mistakes. Okay. Or will he? Well, well said and well thought out and uh, hard to argue with. But I'm just saying that I thought that he was helpless and, and... he was uh, what's it? What's the saying? Punching above his weight class. So she was way out of his league. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But um, yeah, she was out of his league, and he was like head over heels in love with her, even though he was a fuck up, and she was happy with him. And I was just upset for him that she had left at the end. That's all, right. all I was. Saying. Fair enough. He's like a it, lost it elicited puppy. An yes. emotional reaction. Yes, I was just yeah. upset. He felt so bad for the guy. That's fine. I get it. That's fine. I can get on board with that. Kevin was looking for the happy ending, man. Yeah, this was one that I wanted a happy ending out of. Directors and other movies, unless we have more. Did we? Run- I'm sure we- these scenes will bring up more to talk about. What do you got for the director? Uh, it's Ron Shelton. He directed uh, a couple other sport comedies. Tim He's Cup, a, this guy's Durham. addicted to sports movies. So he he wrote and directed this movie. Plus, he wrote Bill Durham. That's not right. He wrote Bull Durham, Blue Chips, The Great White Hype, Tin Cup, Play It to the Bone, and then Bad Boys 2, which is not a, a sports movie. But it is a great movie. Then he directed Bull Durham, this movie, Tin Cup, Play It to the Bone. Play It to the Bone is a uh, boxing movie, in case anybody doesn't know. Yeah, I've never seen that. All right. He loves his sports. Best scene? I got a few. Go ahead. So I love the three-point challenge. So the initial meeting of Billy Ho and uh Sydney Dean they have the whole three point shoot off it's a it's a bet and from it's a hustle from top of the key not from three point range it was three point it was a three from point the shot top of the key. The, I think it was three, three point points. yeah but it's still three point he's not wrong regardless the, three the, points in high school basketball the trash talk is great the billy ho playing off like this like crappy white guy that can't keep up and yeah, well, he was the nerd and the dorky white boy <laughs> and the friend yelling we go and sizzler no, it's great. It is hard to make something that looks this good look this bad. It was it was a good first initial part of the hustle. It was great. Yeah. Well, I agree with you there because my best scene is that opening sequence of playing basketball. Yeah. You had others? Uh, I, I also said that the first time they hustled together was great. Um, there was one, one particular line I really enjoyed from that scene. So the, he rolls up and he's like, I'll beat you with anybody. Cause they, you know, he's trying to set, set them up. And he's like, you take Billy. Who, what's your name? What's your name? He's like, I'm Billy, Billy Hoyle. You take Billy Hoyle. Cause I don't want him. Why not? You ain't seen him. He might be good. Cause he's white. He is white, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. 
And finally, both the basketball tournaments towards the end. I, I really enjoyed watching the basketball in these movies. And I remember somebody telling me that Wesley Snipes was actually a horrific basketball player, but that doesn't show at all in this movie. Like, he really looks like he knows what he's doing. Well, I could give you some insight on that. Um, Woody had played before, and they actually brought in some professional NBA basketball players and trained hard. And the guy said by the time they were done training, they were, you know, like Division three ready basketball players. So they had to train. And apparently Woody Harrelson was better than Wesley Snipes, yeah. Well, they, look, they look good on camera, so Wait. good job editing. Oh, yeah. no, they train hard. Did I they say Woody Harrelson wasn't good at basketball? No, you said Wesley Snipes. Okay, Wesley Snipes, yeah, he was the one that I heard was yeah. not good. All right. Eric, your best scene? Yeah, no, I I agree with those scenes. That that scene is amazing. But I'll, I'll go to another scene where the guy they want to hustle and the guy's got no money. He's like, I just gotta go to my car, get the money real quick. And he goes, gets the gun, puts a face mask on, tries to rob the guy. He goes, Hey, isn't that you? He goes, I just give him the money. And ends up selling him the gun for like two fifty. <laughs> that was good. I just thought it was such a great like the great scene there. That was very good. And then worst scene I gave mine, Chris. No, you did you do your best scene? Oh, you said yeah. mine was your best. Yeah, scene. the yeah. opening basketball sequence. So. My worst scene is probably, I, I want to say when uh, Rosie Perez takes him back, but it wasn't really a scene. So I'm going to go with the thirsty convo. I, I didn't like the cup of water scene. I, I hated it. The dialogue. Yeah, it didn't fit. Weird. But Eric, your worst? My worst scene, I, I want to say it was, it was the Jeopardy montage because I just felt it could have wrapped up a lot quicker and kept the momentum of the movie going a little better because it just threw me off. That's all. I I feel like that from that point on to the end of the movie, except for the king and duck competition, like could have could have quit somewhere in there. Yeah, because it, it almost has a different feel for a movie. Uh, th there was another weird moment too, right? Well, it's actually probably before the Jeopardy scene. Yeah, it was before the Jeopardy scene where uh, Sydney is meeting with his client, like yeah, at the oh, food yeah. stop, and he's got all the different roofing tiles. pattern tiles like I, I just i didn't understand that whole setup of what was going on there all right well well his wife did allude in in, in one of the past scenes that he was doing like five jobs he was working construction he was doing this so it was it, kind of showing that he was a hustler yeah it's but, not that i don't understand what was happening as much as i don't understand place. why it was there yeah <laughs> i got gotcha. you best role i liked rosie perez eric uh i like woody Harrelson's role I liked him a lot. He he was funny. He played it great. So played like like I said, he played like the the beaten, sad puppy that you felt bad for. You were rooting for him the whole time. Yeah. And when he gave his like his comebacks and he stood up tall amongst he was in the ghetto. He shouldn't have been there. And he like he he did well. Yeah. I did like now that you bring that up too, like the fact that they were aware of their surroundings in the movie. Like he was saying, like. He, they went to Crenshaw or whatever at night, and he's like, I'm not getting off this bus. <laughs> so I did like that. My best role was I was torn. I was torn between Rosie Perez's accent and Rosie Perez's boobs. And then upon, consi a child. upon considering both of those things, I realized that my best role was just Rosie Perez in her entirety. Yeah. I, I think she brought something that no one else could have brought to that role. And like you said, like she's out of his league entirely, and she sells the fact that she's out of his league, but still is like you said, madly in love with her. And I don't think that's an easy thing to do with while trying to be like that that whole accent, that whole persona that she has on, because it's weird because she's able to put on like this intelligent yet 
Sophisticated, it's, independent. Yet she's also like you can tell she's from the streets. Like she's yeah. not. She wasn't. She wasn't raised with a silver spoon, but she could be if she wanted to be. I we did our research, and I was really, I, uh, I guess disappointed to find out that she didn't have a better career than I thought that she did. She was in like two movies that I'm familiar with that I've seen, which was Do the Right Thing and It Could Happen to You. One a Wesley Snipes movie. Uh, sorry. One, a uh, Spike Lee movie, and the other was a Nicolas Cage movie. And I was just like, that's it? That's really all you've done? So, Well, she had a lot of movie credits, but those are the only two that you would even possibly know. All, yeah, all yes. small stuff. And we did notice that she was in uh, Pineapple Express, which plays like a small police officer role. And then we right. I've done Woody Harrelson before, being that we're here, and I wanted to go through this quickly. And then I don't know if we've ever done Wesley Snipes before. I'm pretty sure that we have. But we did with New Jack City. Well, oh, New okay. Jack City. All yeah. right, well then we'll leave it. All right, and then worst role. I don't really. I mean, if I had to pick someone, I'm gonna pick the like uh, Wesley Snipes' wife. My, yeah, Tyra Farrell, who plays the wife of Wesley Snipes' character. But again, I don't think she was terrible. She didn't do a bad job, but it was a bad character. Yeah, it wasn't. She what? she was never fun. She was always the nagging, complaining, we, background I wife. Need yeah, this, you need to do this. So yeah. yeah, so I didn't like her either. Eric, how about the worst actors, the Stucci brothers, the the gangsters that were I, after them? I, they were the least scary, believable gangsters I've ever seen. I hated them too, like for that reason. But then I realized they were supposed to be that. That well, was then their, at the yeah. end. You realize that, that they're a joke. That's their whole, they make that's them pretend the he's dead. Yeah. So I get it. So like, but they were they were generally afraid of him, though. It was kind of well, they because the guys they, they drove still around had, in a van, they still had man. Guns. Yeah. <laughs> but like the whole time, yeah, I'm but, like, why are these gangsters <laughs> so hard off about seven thousand dollars? Like, there's no way this 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 whole chase would not be worth seven thousand dollars. They would have killed him by now. They wouldn't let him go three times. And then I was like, oh, it's because they're jackasses. They're supposed to be jackasses. <laughs> And then lastly, most quotable line. So we could do again because this movie has a lot. I could go and I could put clips in or we could just hit a couple of our favorites. What would you like? Uh, I have a couple that you probably wouldn't put in. So I'm just going to throw them out there if that's all right with you. Sure. So my favorite parts are when she's insulting him, when when Rosie Perez is insulting Woody Housen. So at one point, or when they're having their back and forth, not when she's insulting. So he's getting up to leave. He's all pissed off. And she's like, where are you going? He's like, anywhere to get away from you, sick. You psychotic Chiquita nutcase. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and then uh, later on, she calls him a pilgrim, and he goes, "Well, gobble this turkey." <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> but did she say that to him, or was that to? Um, I felt like that was to Wesley Snipes or somebody. Else. No, that was when they were outside his apartment, and she calls him a pilgrim. And then Wesley Snipes and him have a pilgrim conversation too. All but right. he goes, "Well, gobble this turkey." That was good. Or maybe right. maybe Wesley Snipes calls him a pilgrim. Maybe I got it messed up. I don't know. Either way, he says gobble this turkey in the comedy. <laughs> Eric, did you have any? Um, no, I mean I said mine with the basketball quotes. I mean there's 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 so many there's um, so shit many. talking great lines. So many. It, uh, it's probably my best part. My favorite part of the movie, if I'm gonna say, besides the basketball, was the shit talking. Yeah, it was well it was Yeah, it was supposed to be. It was well thought out and and, and it was funny and hit the mark, so it was good. It was Ten out of ten shit talking. Yes. I also want to bring up one last thing that we didn't have a saxophone intro in any of these three movies, and I couldn't be happier about that. <laughs> Thank God. We're past saxophone time. All right. Anyway, but, would you guys recommend this movie? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. This is a must-see movie. And coming in at number one, 
earning $117.7 million, Basic Instinct. So we got 31 stab wounds. What was it? Ice pick. I'd like to speak to Miss Catherine Trammell, please. Is she a suspect? She's a writer. She published a novel. It's about a retired rock and roll star who gets murdered by his girlfriend. You know how she does the boyfriend with an ice pick? She intended the book to be her alibi. You didn't feel anything for him. You just had sex with him for your book. In the beginning, he gave me a lot of pleasure. You like playing games. Games are fun. What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. How's it feel to kill someone? You tell me. You're in over your head. She seduces people. She manipulates people. She's evil! I have nothing too high. You playing a game here? Games are over. Um, yeah, so, so the so, only so reason this this was a this was a movie. The only reason this movie grows 117 million dollars is because it's 1992 and nobody had cell phones with porn on it. That's it. That's it. That's the, that, that we can stop talking. Yeah, about. I didn't. My first note is this movie should have been just titled or described as a Cinemax porno drama. Yeah, this is softcore porn, and and this is softcore porn in two hour format with a list actors. That's all this is. That's it. I, I don't done. I, you want to quit? I, I, honestly, murder going like, on. I'd quit, be fine with it being right over right now <laughs> because none of this movie out like makes any sense. So nothing ties together correctly like they think it does. Yeah. Well, I, no, I I disagree with that. I thought this was a good movie. Honestly, I like. I all right. Let me rephrase. The sex ruins the whole movie. Please rephrase that. This was an entertaining movie. I I. I wasn't enthralled. I wasn't riveted. I wasn't on the edge of my seat, but I wasn't bored. I wanted to see what happened. I thought this movie. Well, I think- right, hold on. Let's digress, please. No, but this is the conversation. What yeah, mean? this will be the conversation, but I want to let's clarify a little bit of have a little bit of uh, setup. So somebody out there that's never seen this movie before, like I've never seen this movie before. Uh, today, as a matter, but we of all time. know about the leg scene. Everybody's seen the leg scene. All right, so Sharon Stone plays. Catherine who? Stone? Catherine, hold on, I have it. Because I think I wrote that down wrong. Uh, Sharon Stone plays Catherine Trammell. Okay. And uh, Michael Douglas plays Detective Nick Nick Curran. Wayne You're Knight. screaming again. That's what I do. Wayne Knight plays John Corelli. He has a minor role, but anytime we get Wayne Knight in a movie, I have to let you know that he's here. Stephen Tobolowski is Dr. Lamont. He's barely in it. He's also barely in it, but he's Needle Nose Ned, Ned Ryerson Bing from Groundhog's Day. Gotta call out Ned when you can. And Gene Triplehorn is the other major role, Dr. Beth Garner. Um, she is the other woman in this movie that's important. And Chris, there's one more. Who's his partner? His partner, Gus, played by George DeZunza. I don't even know how to say that. But sure, close enough. Uh, he's from Crimson Tide, Deer Hunter, and Dangerous Minds. Great role in Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide is a fantastic movie. All right, moving on. The plot. A violent police detective investigates a brutal murder that might involve a... Mani- if I could say words. 
that might involve a manipulative and seductive millionaire novelist. All right. That being said, Sharon Stone in this movie, aside from the nudity, the nudity is troublesome to say the least, and we could get to that. I just wa- I just want you to describe it the way you described it this morning or this afternoon. What did I say? <laughs> you compared it to uh, what would you compare it to? The room? No, you said it's like oh the bag of fries. Oh oh, in the text? <laughs> that, no, that's too long. Nobody else will get that. All right. <laughs> Anyway, so Sharon Stone does a great job in her acting in this movie because she's supposed to be a psychotic murderer, right? She she does a A great job. A serial killer. I'm not taking anything away from Sharon Stone. I thought her acting was on point. But so the writing, the direction, the whole thing. And throughout the, the entire movie, up until the very last scene, you didn't know if she was or was not this person that you're assuming that she is the entire movie. Where I find fault with that is twofold. Number one, the, the very last scene is fucking dog shit. Like, the very, very last scene is stupid. Well, they, we'll, they needed one more sex scene? No, the, yeah, exactly. That and <laughs> fucking they needed, like, another, is it a twist? Is it not a twist? Like, fuck off, director. It's your job to put on screen a decision. Make a decision. This is not a choose-your-own-adventure. You made a movie. Tell me what happens. I, I digress. No, the other problem that I have with it is that the other girl, Janine Triplehorn, playing Do- Dr. Beth Garner, who... Turns out to be the murderer, but you're not still not sure if she is now. You're still, not, but I'm you're not, mostly sure. You're like eighty five percent sure. Oh. But she's also in like ten minutes of this movie in which she has an intricate role. It turns out like that's not acceptable to me. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm kind of in the mindset that she wasn't actually the murderer, and I was in that mindset before they show that last dog shit scene that you were talking about where. So, all right, so let's clear this up a little bit, all right? So, Sharon Stone is a novelist millionaire, like you said. So, her boyfriend is a rock star. He gets murdered, and it turns no, out... No, no, not her boyfriend, just the guy I'm she... I'm sorry, was, just the guy she fucks. There's going to be a said. lot of profanity yeah. now because this movie is profanity-laced and sexually driven, so... So, he's murdered in the exact way that a rock star was murdered in her book. Yeah. So, they, they immediately think, oh... This this has to be her, right? Because whatever. So but then, also, at, at in the same vein, this it's can't her alibi. be her, yeah. Because she wrote this. It's, it's her alibi. Yeah. yeah. But so it turns out that there's other murders that have happened, or other deaths, accidental deaths that have happened throughout her life to family members and through uh, other books that people she's related written. to her that are also in books that she's written. Sometimes before that happened, sometimes after. So. It's this whole thing now, like, she's clearly psychotic. She likes to spend time with known murderers. Her girlfriend murdered her two brothers when she was 16. Uh, She likes to spend time with this old woman who had murdered her entire family when she was a young mother. But the cover-up is that she's doing it because she's a writer and she writes interesting, interesting stories based on you know, odd people. And she was a psychologist fascinated with murderers. Like yeah. that, that's supposed to be the whole thing, right? But then they, they keep on, I'll let you finish your point. of just interjecting other information. They keep on, you know, finding other out, out other information where like her college professor was murdered yeah, with an ice pick, but the same way that the rock star lover was murdered. Yeah. So the whole time they're making you think it's Sharon Stone. But then they're also making you think it's not Sharon Stone because then it turns out that the, the college 
advisor was murdered before she wrote the book, and she said that's where I got the idea for that murder. The ice pick. The ice pick, right. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense, and then you don't know, you do know. You don't know, you do know. And that's all great. And honestly, that now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, you know what? This is interesting. But they, like then they just covered it all in sex, so much sex, and I don't know if the sex is even necessary to the to the point of the movie. Like you could get him to fall in love with her the way that the it kind of like happens without all of the sex. I don't need. There was an abundance of ass in this movie. Like yeah, I saw Michael Douglas's Michael ass Douglas more than I've seen ass. my own ass. I think I've seen balls at one point. Uh, it was just, it was too much. Did you and, see that guy's balls? They were, they were gross. weird. They were, they were weird, weird looking. looking. That's, <laughs> That's the quote I was looking for. Anyway, yeah, no, you're right. And Eric, so, anyway, I, I'm not. I wasn't done yet. You're filibustering. So did you? So shut up. Sorry. So, so then, at the end of the movie, right now, we get to the scene where he finds his friend Gus gets murdered right in the in the uh, elevator, and he runs up the to, way that. Which this is what I found odd. She wrote that in her book before. He got murdered, right? So is that alluding to the fact? Right. That she so it's is like alluding. Yes, and then, but he gets there, and then it's the other psychologist. It's his psychologist is there. Also, his girlfriend, Triple, I guess. Jean Triplehorn, ex-girlfriend, ex-lover, and she's there, and he, she goes to reach in her pocket, and he thinks she's pulling a gun, and he shoots her because she thinks it's her. Which now. is like the sixth person that he's accidentally killed. <laughs> In the line of duty, <laughs> I think it's his the nickname eighth. Shooter no, because eighth. he shoots everybody. There were seven people that he accidentally shot. Okay, well, he's the he, not only is he the worst actor in real life, he's the worst cop in in a movie. So, but the whole thing is like now you're not sure is she the murderer? Is she not the murderer? I don't know. Could could still be the other one. It could still be Sharon Stone, and that would have been just fine. End it with you not sure, but then they got to tell you nope, it was Sharon Stone because. The ice picks next to the bed, and she was grabbing for it until he said he didn't want no, any no, work. No, no, no. Uh, let, let's clarify the last scene. The last scene is them fucking again, and then it mimics the first scene where a woman who we don't know who she is with blonde hair, the same as Sharon Stone, murders the rock star guy in the opening scene. They're alluding back to that same thing in the last scene where she ties him up, and her writhing, for lack of a better term, during sex while she's on top is far from realistic like that is not how you do that i've i don't i don't think we need to get i've been to that show before it doesn't play out like that anyway moving on but i think she's like a psychotic lover though they've alluded to the fact that she let you know she's a little crazy i I might kick her off if she's doing that weird shit anyway moving on Uh, so then she reaches for the you think she's reaching for the ice pick again the ice pick's not there she says some weird shit and then maybe she's going to murder him. And then, like, her hands are hidden, so you're waiting for the ice pick again. There's no ice pick. And then the very last shot is the ice pick under the bed that's waiting for, like, her to decide whether or not she's going to murder him. Bullshit, man. Don't leave. The, right. the director's job is you let me know what happened. Well, listen. He, she's the murderer. The ice pick's there. Why else would there be an ice yeah, pick? Yeah, but, but is she, though? I think, but this is his whole I point. Don't know, he but how about the fact that, like, this discussion, right? Yeah, but this is bullshit. But the scene you're talking about with her riding on top, and, and you know, like it's it's imaging the opening scene where she's riding on top and stabs him. How many times in the movie did they do that scene where she's yeah, riding yeah, on top the fourth time, and lunges forward, and you're like, oh, she yeah. killed him, and yeah, she did. And they did it like six stupid. times in the movie. And then, like, also though, like, so I'm cool with the movie would have been a, a much better movie had a much better ending. 
I didn't care if Sharon Stone was guilty or not guilty. I just wanted it to be definitive. A firm, a firm definitive. Yeah. Okay. That, that's all. Yeah. So either way, I was happy. Either either she was smarter than everyone and she wasn't the killer, or she was smarter than everyone and she was the killer. Either but way, the movie plays out better than the way they ended. I think she. I think the whole point of that was for her, him telling you she was the killer. I really, truly do. I think that was him telling it's you. It's Sopranos-esque, probably, but yeah. who knows? And, and also, someone who was innocent, why is she being so so smug as she's being brought in like you want to be like you want to let them know you didn't kill somebody like well, she sorry. wanted to play the game she liked the game she liked yeah, she, she liked, playing the game she liked odd encounters i did like the game like the, the drive over to the to, to the police station when they first pick her up that was great all right let's i want to talk about the infamous scene quickly the only time I appreciated like the editing and the direction of this movie was during that scene where we had some Hitchcock, Chris said before, so I give him the credit, Hitchcock-esque shots where odd angles and, and weird lighting and... Zooms. Yeah, and that was cool with Wayne Knight and they were doing the interrogation. I wasn't a fan of maybe because like we have a, an abundance of access to pornography these days, but like Sharon Stone's like smushed up vagina... Like, I didn't really know what I was looking at, and I wasn't impressed, and I don't know, what's the point that we got this woman's, like a like a, a, a millisecond shot of this woman's maybe vagina in a, like a regularly released movie in theaters was like the hot take at the time. That, okay, cool, but it definitely doesn't hold up right now. Oh, I think it was just her throwing off the police. No, just really I know putting, what the point was. I'm saying that, just, stand, yeah. that, that it doesn't land right now. But but I Look, I, it's such a famous scene though. We everybody but, on the planet knows that I think scene. That's the problem though. Is this the like it's the reason that this movie is well known and popular. It that's it. Yeah. And, and that's annoying. Yeah, because the I've never seen this movie before, which I said earlier, but my point is is that waiting for this scene because of this movie's notoriety only because of that scene i was like well that fucking sucked but that scene otherwise was good they also they overdo all the zooms and the shots and the angles and the lighting and like like it's too much like they're throwing Mm -hmm. too much at you i i really think that but the scene that the the back and forth between her and the investigators and the psychologist it keeps you it keeps you really into it her persona in this movie was it she had a a role to play and she played it from start to finish it was unwavering it was it was clear she she clearly made herself seem cold and calculated and she really did do a a lovely job with her performance so that's why it's just like i really feel like this all this nudity takes away from a otherwise stellar performance from an actress I was going to say, you know, her portrayal, it it reminded me a lot of like almost like a Hannibal Lecter. You know, she was a genius almost. She was too smart and she was outplaying everybody. But she was a straight up psycho killer, you know, but I I felt like she was playing this cool. I'm too smart. I'm smarter than you. Not as good as Hannibal Lecter, but I'm just saying like she was like that intelligent genius, you know, kind of facade, but a straight up Cold Stone killer in the background. Yeah, well, she never broke. So if she was, in fact, the killer, she was smarter than everybody else. She never got That's caught. That's what I'm saying. She, yeah, never, she broke. never broke. I like that version of the movie better, where she only, not only yeah. fooled everyone, but she also got him to kill the, her ex-girlfriend, yeah, by the yeah. way, was the other oh, yeah, which, we never... which is such a weird twist to the story. It was, uh, yeah, because it was crowbarred in, because the girl that I said, uh, Dr. Beth Garner, was 
in the movie for maybe 10 minutes, yeah. but yet was an integral part right. of the plot towards the end because she ended up having dated Sharon Stone's character in college, had sex, and then became obsessed with her. And we learned that with like 15 minutes yeah. to go in the movie. So I, I like this movie yeah. better if they leave you with thinking, oh, Beth is the killer. But then they end it with the reveal. No, it was Sharon Stone and she just pulled off like, yeah, I'm with you. This movie ends better if you definitively know Sharon Stone was the killer, but they had made you really think it was Beth. Yeah. Did you guys think at any point that Dr. Beth Gardner and uh, Sharon Stone's character were in it together? Yeah, I was I, waiting. For yeah, that. I was waiting. Halfway through the movie, yeah. I thought that they were playing both sides. Like she was playing the cop side, and she, you know, I thought they were like in it together because yeah, they were still yeah, lovers. She seemed I thought like that she was had the whole a partner. Point. Because the girl in the beginning, right. they never showed her face with the blonde hair. So you assume that she had, like, maybe she was going to pawn the whole whole thing off on somebody else. I want to bring up one last thing that has nothing to do with anything. The guy, Remember when they went to the club, like, two-thirds of the way through the movie? Did anybody did anybody catch the guy in the bottom left corner of the screen dancing when he was literally flailing his head and arms about? And no. that's how he was dancing? I did not, but that whole scene was just... I mean, it was meant to be uncomfortable. I thought that scene was absurd. Michael Douglas in a club. It was he, was, he wearing, was so out of place. He was wearing club attire, too. He had like a low-cut V-neck, V-neck on. But it still didn't fit in with no, the, the crowd. Like he was going to the it's, 70s it's, disco, not that club. It's still Michael Douglas that doesn't belong in a club. <laughs> but, it would have never oh, let and him you know, Surprise, surprise. They start having sex on the dance floor. All right. Best scene? <laughs> Best scene. It's I got the infamous scene because oh, yeah, I, I have that what, scene too. Yeah, go, I and don't. I also have the the back and forths. Every time that him and her were like Bantering. going each other on and like trying to get each other to break and you know really making each other like feel pressured and because I know this about you and you yeah, didn't know I good. knew this. Like I, I really like those scenes between the two of them. Okay. My best scene was uh, when Gus gets killed in the elevator because that was the first time in the movie I was anticipating and worried and kind of anxious about what was going on. Well, was he going to get up there in time? And I like Gus. Yeah, Gus was, and I loved open, Gus. And, and then the, and the elevator kept opening on every floor, and you're like, oh, oh what's going to happen? But also, uh-oh, why did it happen? open on and, every floor? And why was he able to? Yeah, she was messing they, with them. You, Somehow she. I thought the logistics through of what somebody would have to do to do that. So you'd have to run to the second floor, push the button, run to the third floor, push the button, run to the fourth floor, get your suit on, and then get your knife and get ready to stab <laughs> him. Like, by that time, the average athleticism of a human being, you'd be out of breath. Yeah, but she was in great shape. Okay. <laughs> just Adrenaline, baby. All right. Uh, everyone did it. Every- or maybe she waited for him to come and pressed all the buttons inside the elevator and then ran to the fourth floor. Okay. The worst scene? The opening crime scene. Uh, every scene with Michael Douglas's ass. That too, yeah. I, <laughs> the nudity is 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 excessive. It's 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 excessive beyond excessive. It's it's more it's nudity sh- than I want ever in a movie. It's a showcase for for uh, Sharon Stone's body. That's what this movie is, yeah. and Michael Douglas's ass and perhaps his balls. And I, I know I said this already, and it's just possibly it's his just balls. An unnecessary amount of naked because it's an otherwise. Like she's a, a stellar actress. Like yeah, well, she was. She so all right. So not the, Stella. Fine. Stella. Stella's too aggressive, right? But she she, she did, did a well. Good job. There's no need for it. So I wanted to analyze the movie on this level. So think about this. If we think about the characters in terms of being good or evil or what have you, right? Sharon Stone seems to be pure evil. She seem which we're never really confirmed. 
but she seems to be she's lustful she's greedy you know she's doing drugs she seems all of negative traits that she has right that she's basically the devil incarnate right that all she wants is to consume to take to murder to feel good like all the negative traits that a person could have that's what she has but then i considered the fact what's michael douglas because he's not a much better person but he's not supposed to be he's supposed to mirror her and you and that's shown in his interrogation it's the exact same interrogation where he has the that alibi that like why would i do this with when I just had an altercation with him, of course I would be the suspect when he gets blamed for the murder of the other cop. It, he literally mirrors everything that, because he's, he's on. So the whole thing is he is her. They, they are the same personality, but he didn't realize it or he didn't accept it until he met her. Okay. So then he starts down the road that she's already lived her whole life down. That's the whole point. It, he, just, he just kills people by accident. No, no, that's, that's, that's the point though. It's not by accident. He's the one who tricked the polygraph. Then he says, when he says, I know someone to trick the polygraph, yeah. he killed those tourists on purpose. Like, that's the whole point. He just won't admit it. He won't admit that he's a horrible person. Now, his wife also committed suicide. And when she says that shit to him about his wife committing suicide, he acts all offended. But guess what? He comes back to her. Like, he is about that life. And she just brings it out of him. That's maybe the best take you've ever had on this podcast. That was solid, Chris. If I wanted to stand up and applaud, I would, but I'm not going. To. If I wanted to, <laughs> if I felt you were worthy of applause, I would applaud. But no, honestly, bro, that was. I was trying to figure out like who he was in this movie, and you hit the nail on the head. Like you, that was very good. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good take, okay. man. What else do we have? The worst scene. I had the very last scene in bed. We already discussed that. Anybody else? I said the opening crime scene, like. Just because it's all the banter, all the we're all the best, we're all they're all cocky assholes, but they're not just cocky assholes, they're cocky to the cocky extreme, and just making jokes about around this guy who's like completely murdered. Like I have to imagine completely murdered, completely murdered, <laughs> not, not <laughs> slightly <laughs> murdered. All right, Eric, what's your worst? Hold on, I wasn't done. Like, well, I have to imagine okay. that's not how cops investigate a murder scene like that. They're not joking around like that. Like they they're they're being serious now. I, I know, I know. Well, I, I know think maybe cops, they're just alluding to the fact that they've been to so many murder scenes. It ain't nothing, you know. It's just another that, day that's in the fine. job. It's another day in the job. It's a, that's a lot different than making jerk off jokes about the guy who just got stabbed to death. Best role, mine is Sharon Stone. Chris, uh, I like Gus. I, I really enjoyed everything he did. He had my favorite line in the movie where he's all drunk and he's all jealous of Michael Douglas getting laid all the time. And you he's like, to save it for most quotable line. Sure. Or you just want to do it now? Well, I'll just do it now because it is my most quotable line. Like he goes, sure. I can get laid anytime I want by blue haired women. I don't like them. And then you just hear some old lady in the background yell, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> that was good. The was only good. comedy relief we had was from Gus. Yeah. Eric, your so best role. Best, best act, best role. Uh, my best role in this movie is Sharon Stone's titties. I thought they captivated the scene. <laughs> they held. They really held up. <laughs> they did actually. All right, my worst role is uh, the writer, who was Joe Esterhouse. I really all I need to say is that this clown wrote Showgirls. It's for what I said before: the ending and not showing that uh, you know Doctor Beth Gardner's involvement, except for the last fifteen minutes of the movie. Chris, my worst role isn't actually a person. It's more like this idea. And I know it's a weird thing to do, but this idea that psychologists are just so 
good at being psychologists that nobody can figure things out but them and nobody can get around them. It's just this whole ongoing thing where all the psychologists are such pompous assholes and everyone's like, yeah, he's a psychologist. Movies, movies do that a lot where like a person with a particular skill or a trait becomes om- omnipotent, yeah. right? Or, or clairvoyant, right? Where they could see the future and they're never wrong and they never make a mistake. Like, Okay, like so you're you're right, and you're saying you're you're a psychologist. So what now? You could see the future. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm thinking. You know everything I've ever done and everything I ever will do. It's kind of nonsense. I agree with you there. Well, they have the ability to manipulate everyone they talk to easily. And I understand this that for for Sharon Stone's like she's supposed to be like this like real witty like whatever she took psychology, yeah, but not, and that's fine on her. That, but then the other one, then the too. other one's got to be that too. And yeah. all the other psychologists that come in the room, them too, yeah. have all these perfect takes on everything, and it pissed me off. Nobody ever made a mistake. That was silly. Quotable lines, Michael Douglas for me. This is the only nod he might ever get from me in my entire. Oh, want to bring this up too? I was watching this movie, called up my mother, paused this movie. I said, Ma. Do you ever find Michael Douglas? And I also lumped in, what's his name? Richard Gere. Yes. Uh, uh, Richard Gere. I said, you ever find these men attractive? Like, they're leading men in so many movies. And I asked my wife, and she doesn't agree. And, like, I don't understand the allure. Like, what's the problem with these men? I was like, was Michael Douglas ever attractive? She said, no. I said, what about Richard Gere? She said, yes. So well, you disappointed me, but at least I got half, half, of, it, right? half of the response that I was looking for. I thought the same thing about women still love Richard Gere. Like they look at Richard Gere and pretty woman and like, yeah, that's a man. That's what she said. My mother said Richard Gere and pretty woman. I said, ma, we need to watch this movie together (laughs) anyway. All right. So my most quotable line is from Michael Douglas, which is, this will be the only nod that he ever gets from me. He says something to um, Sharon Stone's girlfriend in the same house as them. Uh, He goes to her. Let me ask you something, Rocky. And he says, man to man, which I found funny. And then he says something super gross, which is what this whole entire movie is about. He says about Sharon Stone. I think she's the fuck of the century. What do you think? But anyway, his delivery of Rocky to and saying man (laughs) to man was what what entertained me. It's also such a like power move to say that that to her girlfriend. (laughs) He's peacocking. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what he's doing. But it really is. Like you're trying to be funny, but it is. That wasn't. I was actually trying to be pretty serious, but it happened to be funny. <laughs> all right, somebody else. I already did my most quotable line. That's Eric. all I got. Well, I've got. I've got two, and obviously, like every quote in this movie, they're overtly sexual. Not PC. Yeah. Um. I like this one. Doug and Michael Douglas are going back and forth, and you know he's trying to get his mind straight. Doug looks at Michael Douglas. He goes, "She's got that magnum cum laude pussy that's fried your brain." Yeah, yeah I, I, I wanted to do that quote desperately, but because of it's the grotesque. P word, it's yeah, it's. I just like I can't like a young, dumb, and full of cum. Yes, it's like that. that. Yeah. Go ahead. At least, I'm not. No, sensitive. it's not. Uh, sensitive. You're gonna hate just, this I don't line feel then. Like it lands the way that you want it to. But go ahead. It definitely doesn't land, but it's just a great line when you hear it. And here's another one. Then you're probably going to pop out of the out of this move out of this podcast. But um, they're at the crime scene and they're using the black light and and when the cops, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kevin had that he one. He goes, there's cum so stains all over the sheets, and Nick goes, very impressive. And he goes, he got <laughs> off before he got off. <laughs> It's Bro. such a CSI New Orleans uh, like quote. You know that the the no, you know what ratio it whatever. It, it's the it's the mock cop show that's in forgetting sarah marshall yes it is you're right but did you see <laughs> that's the a black place light? on the yes the yeah. CSI. Yeah. his bed looked yeah, like a jason pollock painting 
Dude, they insane. shine the black light and it's like 300 people came on this bed. That's a Chris Pratt line. That's a Chris Pratt line from Guardians of the Galaxy. If you had a black light in here, it'd be like a Jackson Pollock. <laughs> it was a Chris Pratt line. I was being clever. But this is the problem with this movie because, look, I, I can consider this movie in the times that they came out, like we said, a hundred times already. There's no porn. So this is what people are interested in seeing from time to time. But, like, Sharon Stone's use, like, her intense, not even overtly sexual, but her intense sexuality, like, it's the the basis for her existing. It's just like, dude, like, get a hobby maybe. Like, do something else. Like, not everybody's interested in all the dicks that you suck. Oh, my God. Is that not okay? <laughs> That's what the whole movie's about. All right. Anyway. All right. We're done. Would you recommend this movie? No. It's not worth this. I mean, Honestly, you know, I, I came into in a, this. It's a mild. I, you know what? Now talking about it, I'm angry at it. But, like, I kind of enjoyed watching it. I, I see. I, I had the opposite feeling. Like, I came into this podcast thinking I was going to say – I wouldn't recommend it, and there's way too much sex and nakedness in it, but the story in the movie, when you work your way around all the sex, it's a good story. Yeah. I'm yeah. Compelling. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I've convinced I think myself twist, that I though, like this movie. Like you said, there's too many going back and forth in too the middle of the movie. The where, at the end. Yeah, you didn't really know where it was going to go, and, and I don't know. To be honest with you, I did fall asleep watching this movie six times, and I had to rewatch the end <sighs> this morning because I, I, just, I couldn't stay awake. I watched this movie with my eight-month-old son. Is that good parenting? Solid parenting. Because <laughs> he won't remember. He was probably it, so. sleeping in your arms the whole time. For the last half, he yeah. was. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I don't know. I guess I'd recommend this movie. But I don't. I, I like don't think I should... would. I, Chris. I'm saying. I'm saying yes. I've convinced myself that I liked. I've liked half this movie because the other half was just naked. I feel like if you could find an editor's cut where they took out all of the nudity this movie would be markedly better yeah i agree okay let's move and on it's a two-hour movie you're taking out yeah. about 20 minutes of sex so. yeah there was there was one sex scene with um i know we're dragging this on and i really want to get out of this but now i have a point to make there's one sex scene with michael douglas and sharon stone where it felt like the room-esque where the sex scene was going on way too long and i was just like looking at my watch waiting I did, for the yes i did it i timed it you know how long it was no. four and a half minutes yeah that's like four that's, and a half minutes that's of sex four minutes and 15 seconds too long of yeah. sex Most on porns screens. don't even last that long <laughs> <laughs> no you don't last that long oh. <laughs> no he just won't pay for the subscription he just gets the cuts <laughs> all right coming up next month is a dog shit bag I don't know. Give me some euphemism for movies that Wait, aren't good. A desert of movies. Yeah, something. Desert of good movies. <laughs> That's a, shit, a shit pile. Not, not the string of words I was looking for. But I got you there. All right. Anyway. And I see Beethoven there, so I'm happy. I'm out for Beethoven. <laughs> we I own that on the app, by the way. It's right, also we, on Netflix. We have Beethoven. We have Newsies. Love. I love Newsies. Eric, you like yeah, it too? Yeah, and there's great actors in there too. Hidden what's his name's in there? Batman. It's Christian, Christian Bale's Bale. first movie. Yeah. Uh Fern Gully. That's, that's cartoon. The, one of the I thought it was a Disney movie and it's not. It's it, not Disney. It's a weak, weak cartoon. Yeah. Deep cover. I think that's a Larry Fishburne movie. 
the babe, which I've never seen. Oh, before. I've seen that. I've, I've seen part. I, I think I've seen it. I don't know. I John Goodman, remember. right? And that, and that's it. Yeah, John so. Goodman plays Babe Ruth. Yeah, I remember my parents having gone to. Here's another story. My parents went to the movie theater in East Hampton to see the babe. I decided to stay home, and they ended up meeting Billy Joel online while they went to see the babe, and I missed out. Sucker. I mean, is it that big of a deal that you didn't meet? <laughs> I mean, Billy everybody's Joel? met I mean, Billy Joel well, at one point. I remember it. I remember <laughs> it 25 years later, so it must have had some impact. All right. All right. Anyway, this is. Um, Listen, this was a podcast. pretty good month, though, man. Yeah, I, we said we said some things. We, they weren't very coherent. Everything I said was coherent. Chris is going to remind us thought. about this this revelation he this, had in this movie for the rest of the year. Why am I not allowed to be proud of myself? <laughs> this this is Chris's magnum opus as far as podcasts go. My magnum cum laude. What? <laughs> Your Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> it's my magnum cum laude. <laughs> That's the best line of the whole night. That's it. I'm done. Good night. Good night, everybody.